This edition of U.S. Law Radio is being brought to you by SCA Limited, forensic engineering and origin cause experts working nationwide since 1970. By Ringler Associates. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided injured parties and their attorneys with the finest structured settlement services. And by U.S. Legal Support. For more than 20 years, U.S. Legal Support has been providing superior court reporting services nationwide using state-of-the-art technology. Hi, everybody. This is Dan Walker. Welcome to another edition of U.S. Law Radio. Back in 2010, the community of Montcoal, West Virginia, was rocked by one of the country's worst coal mine disasters. An explosion at the Upper Big Branch coal mine left 29 dead and prompted a massive local, state, and federal investigation that resulted in a number of major new mine safety and health administration regulations. It's an important and interesting turn of events, and standing by with an overview of these new regulations is Michael Adair, an associate attorney with Huddleston Bolin in Charleston, West Virginia. Mike, welcome into U.S. Law Radio. Hi, how are you? I'm doing just fine. Mike, can you tell us a little bit more about the Upper Big Branch Mine Disaster of 2010? The Upper Big Branch Mine Disaster, or as commonly referred to, uh, the UBB Mine Disaster, was a mine explosion, uh, and it was the worst mine disaster in the last 40 years. Uh, it occurred on April 5, 2010, at the Upper Big Branch South Mine. That's near the community of Montcole, West Virginia. Uh, it was a massive explosion of, of methane gas and coal dust, uh, which rocked the mine at approximately uh, 3 p.m. Uh, on that day. Uh, 29 coal miners were killed as a result of the explosion. The accident actually came on the heels of another large mining disaster that occurred at the Sago Mine, also in West Virginia in 2006, in which 12 coal miners were killed. Because of the large uh, fatality count, its proximity in time to the Sago disaster, and the fact that UBB was owned by Massey Energy, which is a company that was already often embroiled in controversy over its, both its environmental and mine safety practices, UBB disaster received widespread media coverage. It soon became known that the company had been routinely cited by the Mine Safety and Health Administration, or MSHA, for violations of that agency's mandatory mine safety standards. Uh, of course, this revelation led to a public outcry for new mine safety regulations and tougher enforcement of existing mine safety standards. Well, let's back up here just a little bit. What caused the mine disaster? There were several investigations that occurred after the explosion. The state did its own investigation and also commissioned an independent investigation. And then the most important thing uh, is that MSHA conducted an investigation. And the MSHA investigation determined that basically worn bits and missing water sprays, which exist on the uh, long wall miner to suppress coal dust and potential sparks, created an ignition source that resulted in a small methane explosion that in turn caused a massive coal dust explosion. Now, IMSHA found that Massey had not properly monitored the buildup of methane gas underground and had not retaken required safety measures to control the buildup of highly combustible coal dust. And essentially, the conclusion of IMSHA was that the small methane explosion that originally occurred could have been controlled to the point that where it would not have created the large coal dust explosion if it had followed uh, IMSHA safety standards. And then beyond the physical causes of the explosion, uh, IMSHA 
actually found that the root cause of the disaster was the entire production over safety culture that was in place at Massey Energy. Uh, MSHA found that Massey actually took affirmative steps to avoid complying with mandatory safety standards. Some of the more egregious actions that Massey allegedly took were keeping two sets of examination books. Uh, you know, the mines are required to go in and make pre-shift, on-shift, and weekly examinations of the mine and record the results of those examinations. Massey had two sets of books, one they were providing to MSHA and one that had all the good stuff in it. Massey was also providing advance notice to its miners underground that MSHA was coming to inspect the mine so that the miners could conceal safety conditions that existed uh, during daily operations. So catastrophic mine disasters have historically spawned increased regulation. Were any new regulations promulgated as a result of UBB? Well, at this point, there actually hasn't been a great deal in the way of new regulation at the federal level. Uh, but one thing that IMSHA has done since UBB is to amend the requirements for performing pre-shift, supplemental, on-shift, and weekly examinations. Previously, company mine examiners were required to look only for hazardous conditions, but now they are required to actually identify violations of certain mandatory health and safety standards. Accordingly, company examiners must now identify and document violations of the law pertaining to ventilation, methane, roof control, combustible materials, rock dust, safeguards, and guarding. IMSHA also significantly increased the amount of rock dust that must be distributed throughout underground bituminous coal mines as a result of UBB. And basically the process is that you have all this coal dust laying around that's highly combustible, and it's sort of what happened in UBB. You know, you spark a methane explosion, the fire hits the coal dust, and, and you've got a huge, massive coal dust explosion. And one way that mines prevent that, and one way they're required to prevent that, is by spreading around rock dust, which renders the coal dust basically inert and incombustible. After UBB... MSHA, like I said, MSHA is requiring that the incombustible content of coal mine dust, in other words, rock dust, be increased to at least 80% in underground areas of bituminous coal mines. Further, when methane is detected in any ventilating current, the percent of incombustible content in coal mine dust has to be increased by 0.4% for each 0.1% of methane detected. Now, that's pretty much all the regulatory action that's been taken at the federal level, uh, but in West Virginia where the accident happened, uh, legislation has been passed to significantly modify that state's mine safety regulations. Generally, the West Virginia legislation sought to address methods for recruiting additional qualified mine inspectors, improving the training of state mine inspectors, and improving mine inspection priorities to ensure that frequent violators of safety standards are inspected more frequently. Have there been any additional regulations proposed since UBB? One brand new regulation that was a proposed regulation that now actually has went into effect on March the 25th is that IMSHA has uh, completely changed the pattern of violations regulations. POV regulations are targeted at repeated and willful violators of mine safety laws. Now, under the old regulations, IMSHA would make an annual examination of a mine's history of violations and injuries and things of that sort uh, and lack of good faith in correcting uh, problems that result in significant and substantial violations. And then once a certain threshold was reached, IMSHA would then notify the operator through what was called a Potential Pattern of Violations Letter or a PPOV letter, 
that it had a period of time in which to institute a program to avoid continued and repeated significant and substantial violations. Now, to change under the new rule, the PPOV letter is eliminated. Operators now have to monitor their own pattern of violation status based upon criteria established by IMSHA and published to a website. The new rule also eliminates the requirement that IMSHA can consider only final orders in its POV review. Under the new rule, when IMSHA is determining whether to put a mine on a POV status, IMSHA can actually consider citations and orders that are actually still being contested in litigation. Have MSHA's enforcement and inspection practices changed in the aftermath of UBB? MSHA's enforcement and inspection practices is the area that perhaps we've seen the most change after UBB. After UBB, MSHA created and began conducting impact inspections in which IMSHA unilaterally identifies coal mines that merit increased attention and enforcement. In conducting these impact inspections, uh, IMSHA has been showing up at mines during odd or off hours, like evenings and weekends. They've taken control of mine communication systems to prevent advance notice to miners underground. They've also sent as many as 10 inspections to a single mine during one of these impact inspections. Within three weeks of UBB, IMSHA actually conducted impact inspections at 57 coal mines and continue to conduct these inspections with regular frequency. Uh, It was found out through the investigations of UBB that Massey was routinely having its superiors above ground provide advance notice to its underground miners that IMSHA was coming to inspect the mine so they could hurry up and clean up all of the hazards and violations that were allowed to exist during daily operations. It's always been illegal, but IMSHA has now taken a concerted effort with other federal authorities to prosecute these violations to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, In fact, at least two Massey officials have already been prosecuted and sentenced to prison for providing advance notice. And then finally, co-operators are also seeing IMSHA inspectors cite violations that they would not have cited previously. I mean, prior to UBB, an inspector might let an operator off with a warning or have them just fix the violation before the inspector leaves the, the mine. But as a result of the UBB investigations, IMSHA was highly criticized for its lax enforcement practices at UBB. The inspector's attitudes now are that it would rather cite a questionable or minor violation that could possibly be overturned in, in subsequent litigation rather than sort of letting the mine go with a slap on the wrist and then be blamed for subsequent accidents uh, for having too close of a relationship with the operator or being frankly inept. Well, it's all for the safety of miners, and of course you can't put a dollar figure on that. Are there any particular proposed regulations that stand out that we should know about? Well, there's one that I actually forgot to discuss earlier, and that is uh, an effort by uh, IMSHA to propose uh, lowering the uh, permissible exposure limit for coal mine dust from 2 milligrams per cubic meter to 1 milligram per cubic meter. Uh, among other things, IMSHA would also propose to require the use of continuous personal dust monitors that would be incorporated into the miner's cap uh, lamp battery case. And that sort of came out of a revelation that came out of the UBB investigations that not only were there safety violations, but the health of the miners were really in danger at that that mine. An extraordinarily high number of the miners were actually found to have advanced stages of black lung disease, even those who had not been in the mine for you know, many, many years. Well, I'm glad you're staying on top of it, Mike. Anything you want to say to wrap things up regarding the new regulations? I don't think we're done seeing new regulations and, and, and changed enforcement practices. I think it's a fluid situation, and we're going to see additional regulations in the future. 
Michael Adair, thank you so much. Glad you could spend a few minutes to help us out. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for now, folks. U.S. Law Radio is produced by Rachel Brooks. Send your comments and show ideas Rachel's way because she'd love to hear from you. This edition of U.S. Law Radio has been brought to you by SEA Limited, forensic engineering and origin cause experts working nationwide since 1970. By Ringler Associates. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided injured parties and their attorneys with the finest structured settlement services. And by U.S. Legal Support. For more than 20 years, U.S. Legal Support has been providing superior court reporting services nationwide using state-of-the-art technology. This is Dan Walker. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you again next time for another fresh edition of U.S. Law Radio.